I'm the only kid there, only minor ever to work for USSOCOM. I walked in, it's a big think tank event where they give you a problem and then at the problem, the limitation, they said, figure out a solution. Don't build it, just figure out a solution. We all work in groups and it's like, who's the kid? Is it bring your kid to work day to day or what's going on? There's no, the kid's working. We're like, okay. So then after about the first day or so, they were like, okay, so the kid does know his stuff. And I understand that people have stereotypes of it's, it's a kid. He doesn't know much about this stuff. And that's something that I know, and I have to show what I know in order to gain others' respect. That's something that I've done over the years and something that I will continue to do. Hello, and welcome to More Intelligent Tomorrow, a wide-ranging exploration of the potential impact of AI on the world around us, as envisioned by the future heroes of the human and machine intelligence revolution. Will robots take over the world? We'll discuss this and more with 12-year-old genius Mike Wimmer on today's episode. And now, your host, Ben Taylor. Hey, Mike. Mike Wimmer, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks for inviting me here. So, Oculus Quest, do you have one yet? Do you want to get one? No, I've been looking into it, but I don't have one yet. Is that something you've played with? Do your friends have one? Have you seen what it's like to try out the new device? Interestingly, I actually have a PlayStation VR that I use a lot of times. Oh, okay. Have you tried an Xbox before, PlayStation over Xbox, or do you like both? Both, actually. I have an Xbox One S and a PlayStation 4, and, you know, I like to weigh in both PlayStation more on the Sony side. This is their expertise, but this is Microsoft side. This is their expertise because, you know, that's their parent companies. Really, what I like to do with uh, video game-wise is I'm a big racing fan, so I like to race Corvettes, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and Gran Turismo and Forza, because I actually have a driving simulator as well. And is that driving simulator, is that part of the PlayStation, or is that independent? Yeah, it's independent. Then that hooks to my Xbox. Now I'm wanting a Switch case where I can use the, the driving simulator on the PlayStation as well. What are the Lego sets that you're the most interested in? I'm a big fan of Technic. I really got interested in that even at a young age because I could figure out how things worked. Okay, how did this motor work and how does a motor drive a car? And learning that was really why I like Lego so much. So Technics are some of my favorites, like the the new Lamborghini CN I have. And then also I really like the Creator Expert ones where the different buildings and you can build different monuments like now that just came out with the largest set ever, which is the Roman Colosseum. It's interesting to see how they can build something with bricks into something that's really extremely complicated in real life. Yeah, I think Legos are great because it gives you a chance to really play with your creativity and visualize things from the beginning and see them through the end. It relates to technology, honestly, a lot. And that's where I got started in technology as well. I began with the Legos and learning the gearing and the motors and what's the difference between a V8 and the W12 and a Bugatti. And, you know, learning that was really how I got interested in that technology because it's the same thing. Learning something new every day is really what I loved about them. I think I'm a little naive with the smarter Legos. So I'm used to just the dumb Legos, just no, <laughs> no mechanics. And I've heard of Lego Mindstorm is that what you're talking about, or you're talking about something a little different? How, how does that relate to the Mindstorm? I also have uh, Lego Mindstorms. That was one of my also big robotics startups starting was Lego Mindstorms, learning how to program it. But techniques are basically the piece of the Mindstorms 
where it doesn't have a smart brick in it, but still has like motors and Bluetooth controls and things like that. And from those, even the Mindstorms bricks, I actually built my own Rubik's Cube solver. I taught myself how to do the Rubik's Cube. I trained this robot to do it itself using the color sensor on Mindstorms. So it's that learning something new every day was really what was driving me to do into technology. That's awesome. So did you have to study some of the algorithms that saw the Rubik's Cube faster, some of the tricks? That's something I like to do is learn the algorithms. And even with the technology itself, I've had to learn what's a factorial. Well, then my dad would have to teach me, okay, this is what a factorial is. And this is how I use it. Okay, then I could apply that to my technology or programming that I was learning at the time. And technology itself has driven me to learn something new in other segments other than technology itself. So this is really interesting, Mike, because your traditional high school or junior high education did not prepare you for this very well. So you've had to no. fill a gap. And so talk talk about that. Talk about what was helpful in school and then talk about where school missed the mark for you. You know, originally school for me was boring. But, you know, one of the, I guess you could say the positives of school was the idea of the social interaction. That was something that you wouldn't get from just working by yourself at home is talking with your friends, although I, I couldn't talk about, okay, what's the ROI of my current company or how my new autonomous car project is going. I was more talking about, say, the cars and racing and Legos and the more kids stuff. And I think that social interaction was really the benefit of school. And the downside of school was there was not a lot of STEM that was available to me. And I'd say one other big thing of school that, you know, kids like me who are academically higher than their calendar age is, you know, knowledge is not the same as the ability to learn. That was really what I noticed in school was, okay, they can give me a fourth grade math test, but if I haven't learned it, then I'm not going to ace it, obviously. A knowledge versus intelligence thing is something that I've noticed in school. I think they should change. I was eager to learn for at my age. I'll say, hey, I asked my teacher during recess if she could sit down and teach me something new. And then they handed me this fourth grade math test with a clipboard and then said well, he didn't ace this, so he doesn't need anything else. And that difference is something that I think is definitely need to change, along with age restrictions. Everybody thinks grade equals age. And that's honestly not the case. It's intellectual equals age or or intellectual equals grade. So that's something that I also think needs to change. That's interesting because a lot of people think that your intelligence is directly tied to your grades. But we see lots of examples of people that are bored and very intelligent, but they don't get very good grades because they're elsewhere. They're not motivated. The material's boring. Yeah, super interesting. It's an interesting thing relating the, the, the grades to intellectual ability and even grade levels like first grade and second grade versus the age. And it was interesting. How have things changed with you with COVID? Are, are you able to see your friends very often? Do you see each other virtually? Have you noticed issues where you were feeling like you lacked the social interaction because of COVID like the rest of us? I do game with my friends a lot and we play racing games together. So it's the the social interaction definitely has changed because of COVID, you know, and during school, you don't go to lunch with everyone. And usually that was the 
the, the top where everybody talked together, but now we don't have that. We have virtual school. And with me being in high school and many of my peers being in junior high, it's interesting to see the technical difficulties as it goes across it. I always uh, laugh at those, but and, and I think the change to distance learning has been hard for everyone, but it's also been something that will change learning forever. One question I was just thinking about, as a parent, I'm terrified of my kids as they get older and go through junior high and high school with bullying. Is that anything that you had to deal with or confront, or were you able to do a lot of the high school education virtually to kind of sidestep some of that stuff? That's an interesting question, and I actually have not been able to do most of my high school virtually. I actually go into a school, you know, although I do take online classes, most of them have been through the school. And, you know, that was what my mom was worried about. She was like, I don't know if I could drop him off or not the first day. But I haven't experienced that at all. They all really accepted me and thought it was cool that I was in their class. And so I really haven't experienced that. But it's something that I know is on the topic of many parents as they go into junior high and high school. But I personally haven't experienced it. That's great. That's great that you haven't had to deal with that as a distraction. Some of the things the listeners might be thinking about, I want to make sure we hit on this is to hear about a kid your age doing deep learning, they're going to try to poke holes in your foundation. They're going to try to suggest that maybe you you don't have a strong foundation or you're not able to do some of the things they're able to do. And so I definitely want to get into that. And let's talk about the programming. What was the first language that you learned? And where did you go from there? So yeah, the first language that I learned was Python. That was my start language. And honestly, Throughout, I've learned C, Java, built my own website with HTML, and now I'm learning web app development with uh, React and Mern. And Python was still my favorite, honestly, and not because of how basic it is. It's mainly because of how much you can do with it. One minute you can, like you said before, build something for gaming, and the next minute you can go and make an AI robot. So that versatility and that endlessness is really what draws me to Python in particular. So what Python modules do you like the most? What I like the most is probably OpenCV is probably one of my favorite. I use it a whole lot with image processing. That's really one of my favorite things to do with AI. But along with that, it's, of course, the TensorFlow and PyTorch. I use a whole lot to build my models and train stuff. And how long have you been playing with PyTorch? I got started with deep learning about two years ago, and I started from there, and I've built up from the original beginner stuff, and now I'm building a natural language translator for the U.S. military now using different models. Of course, I can't tell you specifics about that one, but again, what I like about AI is you can apply it to anything and everything, and that endlessness is also what drives me to that as well. How did you get over the hurdle of learning deep learning? Because I, I think initially it can be quite intimidating, even for professionals, to get under it and under, understand it. Did you take Coursera? Were there some online courses? What was your entry-level introduction into deep learning? You know, of course, with Coursera, I can't even take a class on 13. So dad over here is <laughs> uh, up in a, just a few cor- Coursera courses, wink, wink. But that really learning and deep learning, I taught myself. That's how I learned Python. And that's how I've taught myself throughout the, I've learned everything I know, really. And so learning deep learning and teaching myself really wasn't anything different than I had done before. And looking at the documentation, trial and error, online videos, pretty much a culmination of everything. And what people will tell you about me is 
I can take a little tidbit from this video or a tidbit from trial and error and I can bring them together into something new. That's how I've learned over the years and how I will keep learning. Well, you really have to chase your passion, right? So if you're excited and passionate about it, it's probably pretty easy to learn it. But I imagine there's some classes in high school you hated where it was difficult to learn the material. Is that right? Not really. Again, I always go back to actually the application of it. How does it change what I'm in today? How does it change my world? So when I look at it that way, I really don't have a boring subject. I'm well-rounded in all subjects. So it's interesting, though, although like the, the liberal arts aren't my usual forte, but I do still apply, okay, this is how, this is why I'm in the world I am today. You're listening to More Intelligent Tomorrow, an artificial intelligence podcast brought to you in high fidelity by Data Robot. So what's going to happen first? Are you going to get a driver's license or finish your self-driving car project? If I get good funding, it'll be a self-driving car project. <laughs> driver's license, I don't know if I'll need one, depending on uh, how the self-driving car project goes. A lot of people are like, oh, well, these self-driving cars are going around, but I still like to drive. And although it's, I've never driven a car on the road before, the closest thing I have is my racing simulator, as discussed before. And I still like to drive, honestly. Although it's not real driving, I still like to drive. Shifting the gears and everything. You know, people ask me, would you have a Tesla or a Corvette in your garage? And I would say both sitting side by side because I like both. I like the figuring out the technology and the safety behind self-driving cars while also actually driving. That's a pretty cool thing. Going into the AI field, you, you can easily have both because the, the pay yeah. is good enough. You could get both if you wanted them. Has that been a hard decision to decide if you want to go to MIT, if you want to go do a startup, or if you want to go work for a bigger company immediately? What are you thinking about right now for next steps once you graduate high school? Yes, right now I have applications pending at MIT and getting ready to send out some more, but I'm weighing all my options, whether it be MIT or big league school or getting like a field fellowship and getting my startup going was called Reflect Social. So we're weighing all the options. We'll see how the letters come out and we can go from there. It's it's going to be an interesting thing, not only for that, but being in North Carolina, we're obviously not in New England right now. Funding and getting my me to work, us to move up there is also going to be a challenge. And also weather, because I've never been in that much snow before. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting question. We already talked about this before the show, but we had George on. So he was a Thiel recipient when he was 17. So he went right. straight, straight to term sheets, started his drone company, Teal. Would that be your first choice if you knew that was obtainable? It's a possibility. It's a maybe. I'm weighing my options. Okay, do I go to school and get a business degree, for example? Or do I do the field fellowship and learn by experience or something like that? I'm weighing all my options. They're all very equal on my list. So we'll see how it plays out. At Hireview, where I used to work, there's a Sequoia company, and on a pretty regular basis, we'd always have a 16-year-old salaried developer. That was pretty common. Right. Um, and they'd work right alongside the other engineers, and the engineers really liked having them on the team. They saw the world through a different perspective. They brought a different view with everything. Right. 
Do you notice that with some of the technical projects you work on where you just see things differently than maybe your adult counterparts? You know, something I always say about myself is I've never been formally trained in anything. I've never taken a formal class. I've always taught myself. And then I've never been funneled into that way. This is how you do this. This is how it should be done. And if you do not do it that way, that's wrong. And not being funneled that way actually brings a different perspective. The idea of, okay, I may be younger, but I have never been funneled through that before. So I think I may think things in a different way. And, you know, well, I always think out of the box. I've never been in the box in the first place. And I think us as younger, we haven't been in that box. And that's something that I pride myself on. And that's why the military, the USSO colony so much, because I don't think in that box way. And, and that allows you to step outside the standard rules, right? You can Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's great. A lot of people that are much older in their career, in their 30s and 40s, they envy that childhood wonder, childhood curiosity, because their boxes have become rigid. They see the world in a very black and white way, and they don't feel very flexible in their mindset. So that's really interesting. And that's something that I'm going to try myself to do is never lose my imagination and keep trying to be creative. That's something I'm definitely going to try to do. Do you think you're able to do that now when you still engage with your friends? So you mentioned before that you can be working on deep learning or something very technical, and then you can transition to racing or Hot Wheels or something that is more typical for your age. Does that help with that creativity? Yes, it, it does. You know, I got that, that switch in my mind. It's technical mode, then kid mode, honestly. And I think still having that other half does help me. I'm not always doing deep learning and I do be a kid, and I think that does help me in some way. So how would you describe deep learning to your friends? So the other kids your age, if you were trying to describe what you were doing, how would you communicate that to them? Everybody hears artificial intelligence nowadays, and they think about, oh, it's going to be the Terminator. They're going to, robots are going to take over. When I explain to them, we're nowhere near that point yet, number one. Number two, deep learning right now is only really like, comparing things and matching things together. Honestly, it's really dumb right now (laughs) compared to us. When I say that to them, they're like, what, don't we have this over here? And I'm like, no, it's it's right now. It's only just, okay, this image is a car, like the little recapture things on your little uh, sign is. And that kind of figuring out what things are is about where the only part where we're at right now. And then, you know, now we're learning to where it can teach itself. And that's about as far as I say about it. You know, I don't really get into it that much with them, obviously, but it's always an interesting topic that they find interesting. What are you the most passionate about right now? So when you think about AI and technology, what would wake you up early on a weekend or send you home from like a friend activity to go work on it? I think the what's really waking me up in the morning, as you said, is the idea of trying to get robots out into the masses and get the public to get robots. And we know that it'll be coming as soon, but getting the citizens prepared for it is going to be an interesting thing because, like I said before, everybody used to seeing the Terminator and everybody's, oh, it's a robot. And getting robots not to be bad is going to be something that is going to be hard but it'll have to come. And they're trying to get that social aspect out of there before we even think about getting the technology aspect there is going to be 
extremely difficult, but it'll be worth the wait. So are you more excited about raising awareness around robot adoption or just specifically robots that are useful? So I think both trying to get the technology there that where humans can't blow holes in it like these developer robots here because they're like, I can't program that. So trying to get that to a consumer level is also going to be an interesting idea. What will robots be doing 30 years from now? What will they be capable of? I think a lot of people think now with uh, science fiction that there'll be one robot that can do everything we need, push a vacuum cleaner, do the dishes, wash the clothes and everything. And what I think of is more like an avatar bot where I have one robot or platform system that can control all of the other single task robots, almost like Jarvis from Iron Man. Almost like you have this one robot that tells your eye robot to uh, vacuum your floors or tells the dishwashing robot to wash the dishes. And that kind of idea of one main robot and then multiple robots, I think will be the way to go rather than trying to develop one humanoid that can do every single thing that we need. That's going to probably going to be a whole lot harder. So if you want it quicker, they're probably going to just going to need to make a bunch of single task robots. One of the thoughts that comes up on the ethics front What are your thoughts around robot personification? What are your thoughts about in the future as they begin to act more like people? Is that concerning? Is it useful? I go back and I look at, I think about the Uncanny Valley, which I've written in many papers in school about, which is the idea that we have those robots. And even I've been surrounded by robots my whole life. And even those I think is a little creepy sometimes. So I think the best way for us to avoid that situation would be to make robots look like a robot, almost make a separate, if you will, of robots instead. Because, I mean, like Infinite here, you can tell he is not a human, obviously, or Misty. So I think if we remain out of that area, then we'll be fine. And I think, you know, people try to make robots that look a whole lot like humans. And I don't think that's the best approach to things. What about Amazon Alexa? It doesn't look like a human. Is th- is that a bad idea? Is it useful? Is there a scenario where that could cross that uncanny valley and become a Black Mirror item? So, yes, it's not only looking like it, it's also thinking like it. Alexa can be helpful at times. Other times can be a little uncanny, if you will. Uh, it's almost like we need a very straight, can't really think, can't think enough, like image classification or something, but can't think to the point of humans can, because that's going to be the better market, I think. So maybe the scale is from zero to 10, zero would be tool or machine, does a purpose, right. it's mindless. And then a 10 would be a friend. And that becomes concerning because what? how does a friend impact our environment, our mental health. What happens if your friend's firmware gets corrupted? Are you going to go through loss? Are you going to be upset about that? But you're saying robots aren't really a concern as long as they fall on the machine and tool built with a purpose spectrum. About with a five or four-ish. Yeah, five or four. So five or four, that's enough for you to buy it. You want to buy it and renew the lease, but it's not a nine or 10 where... Mentally, it's doing some very weird things because you're talking to the robot more than your friends or you're talking to the robot. And it's part of you almost. Yeah. Yeah. So what other technologies are you excited about besides robots? 
my new startup Reflect Social is all surrounded around the the IoT market. That's going to be something that I think is going to change. As we, like I said before, these single task robots could be a era of things of robots, honestly. So that kind of approach and idea, I think, is going to be something that is going to be interesting. And the, and in particular, IoT devices. And you know, a lot of people down IoT devices do their security. So improving security in them and then also trying to develop new ways, remaining in that five to four range, like we said before, I think it's going to be an interesting idea, interesting approach that we're going to need, but I think it's going to get there. And do you use IoT devices in your life today? Yes, I do. I've got Alexis here. I have many different IoT lighting, IoT door locks. I've done a bunch of different things with them. Philips Hue, Lifex, Amazon, and Reflect Social is going to do what I can tell you right now is we're going to, first off, make them all standardized where Philips Hue is not going to talk with Google or something like that. So we're going to try to connect them all together, first off. Second of all, we're going to be an amazing integration software where we can integrate them together while also being very fun and adding a social factor to it. And that's going to be a, an interesting approach. Hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be beta testing and launched. And what do you mean by the social factor? We want to be the idea of TikTok for IoT. So that's about all I can say at this point. But we're trying to bring the younger generation into IoT. That's really what our main focus is. Okay. And okay, so this is super interesting. So you're applying to go to MIT and other colleges, but you also have an opportunity to potentially raise some capital now and start pursuing this business idea. If that gets enough traction, do you see yourself not pursuing college? Do you see yourself chasing that full-time? Yes, that's my threshold is, and I'm looking for first round investors now, actually, speaking of that. If I get by that point of enrollment, if I, if Reflect Social is getting some traction, I'm going to be a little hesitant about the college side of things. So that's kind of going to be my trigger, but I'm thinking even maybe I may defer for a few years to grow Reflect Social and then from there decide one way or another. So the startup journey is really powerful because you learn a lot. It's a fire hose. And then the other thing that becomes really interesting is you can actually hire talent around you to fill your weaknesses. Exactly. If you realize you're not good at this, you're not good at that. And that's what George did. He didn't know how to run a business. So he hired a COO co-founder to run it for him. And he was able to staff out the gaps that he had in his own expertise. That's something that I'm probably going to do as well is... Okay, I may not be a best in this section, but I know someone who is, and I can hire that person. I may not be the best in web development, but I can hire someone who is. So that way of thinking is probably going to be the way Reflect Social will work as well. One advantage that you have growing your network is your age is a plus that gets attention, that these projects you complete, it's verification or validation. So that they become flex points or projects that do force the attention your way. Does that stress you out with some of these projects where you've got your own pressure to finish them sooner or you want to take on more ambitious projects that stress you out? Has that come up before? Yeah, not really. I I make everything together and I always make it fun. You know, my idea is you'll never work a day in your life if you love what you're doing. What this everything I'm doing here is I love doing it. 
though yeah. I may get paid to do it sometimes. I love doing it. It's something I like to do. So doing these projects isn't stressful because you have fun along the way. Exactly. Let's hit on some of the projects uh, you were mentioning. You did something with, was it a ring camera with some facial recognition? Maybe just pick what are three, three to five of your favorite projects that stand out to you? Yeah, I can start with that one. Of course, that was actually the start of this kind of how Reflect Social got started, where my mom actually had spinal surgery in May of last year, and she could not get out of the couch or bed easily to see who was at the door. What I developed was a, a ring doorbell system where I could look at the camera and using facial recognition that I, a system I developed, I put in the five most common family members and people in our family, and it would automatically unlock a IoT door lock if it was detected as a good person, but ensure it was locked if a delivery person came up. Not that they were bad, but just to ensure that the door was locked. For that, how did you connect to the cameras? Did you have to go through a Python API? How did you get them to talk to each other? Ring-wise, it was a little tricky. Yeah, Ring didn't have an API, so I had to make my own way to do it, which is a little interesting. But I accessed APIs for the rest of it, the, the door lock, and then I made my own, trained my own facial recognition myself. What type of model or process did you use for the facial recognition model? I used a, a convolutional neural network in Python, just used image classification and a little bit of object detection as well. So I just put in, I said, okay, could you give me about mm, 50 pictures of you? <laughs> and I did that for all five people. So then it, it would train and recognize. And it, did, it worked pretty well considering I said actually a low amount of pictures for facial recognition, surprisingly. But once it was detected, it said, okay, I'm going to unlock the door now or make sure the door is locked. It just randomly detected a person in general. That project's pretty fun. It, this might surprise you, but that this project probably stands out more than most projects we see from data science candidates out of college. A, a lot of college candidates that try to enter the job market, they have no personal projects, like zero. Well, thank you. Any other projects you've done that have stood out to you or you've had fun with? So yeah, absolutely. I guess I can go into now my uh, few years back. I did an autonomous RC Corvette. I'm a big Corvette and Pratt Miller engineering fan who runs Corvette Racing. That was one of my first hardware projects itself. I was getting into the Raspberry Pi and Jetson area. So I began with the Raspberry Pi, taught myself to use the GPIO pins, and put six ultrasonic sensors around the RC car and drilled the holes and snap the bot and make sure the body would stay on. I didn't want it to look awkward, so I made sure the body would still go back on. And I also made a few things like obstacle avoidance and lane keep. And I also taught myself the difference between bang bang steering, which would be just back and forth for the lane keep, versus progressive steering, which would just softly bring into the middle. I learned a lot through that, not only the hardware side, but also different principles of the software side. That one was definitely quite a fun one. That sounds really interesting. So what IDE do you use for programming? Are you Vim, Emacs, PyCharm? What's your go-to for your development interface? Uh, mainly on a, on a Jetson or a Pi, I use Vim a lot. You can make them Vim shortcuts for different things. And then also for like a desktop or a, like my TensorBook or Mac here, I usually use PyCharm just because it's easier to use and has the autocorrect built in. 
But that's my two favorite IDEs for Python. And then for web development in particular, I usually use Visual Studio Code because it has the best autocorrects and auto fill-ins. But a lot of times I use the Vim and Note mode when I have to do things myself without autocorrect. I've seen consultants before. They know all the Vim shortcuts and they never have to touch a mouse. Do you feel like right. you're getting closer to that? Would you say you're a Vim superstar? I'm getting there. I started with Vim about December of last year, so I've got about a, a year of Vim. So I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I've got about probably 85% of them known. That's awesome. So who inspires you the most in the tech industry? Who do you look up to the most? Who would you be the most excited to meet? Outside of the tech industry would be my parents, of course. But inside the tech industry would be Elon Musk, probably, because he has the most out-of-the-box ideas. Who would ever thought that you would land a rocket on a barge in the middle of the ocean? No one ever thought of that. So those out-of-the-box ideas, those different ways of thinking that never been in the box ways that I like to think as well is what drives me toward him. I kind of model how I'm working with my startups. I'm building my, my PayPal now, if you will to then make later my Tesla or SpaceX. And Elon is pretty inspiring because he's had successful startups. It allows him to take bigger research bets. Spending the amount of money that was spent on SpaceX to go blow up three rockets, that's not something you do as a a side project or it's not something you do in your garage. You have to have a lot of capital. So is that something you envision or hope to see yourself do as well, that your startups will lead to bigger bets in the future? Yeah, and I'm always thinking, well, if you do it once, it'll be easier to do it again because I don't have to build my network back up again. Don't have to learn how to do everything again. It'll be a whole lot quicker and I'll probably get better at it as I go along. I model myself after him in that way. But yeah, that's that's quite a lot of capital to blow up three rockets, of course. (laughs) Yeah, it was more than they planned. I think they blew up four. and Yeah, before they actually had one that worked. Yeah, yeah. Do you think in the future that you you can inspire other kids to go into STEM or go into technology? Or do you feel like you do that now? I actually do that now and probably will continue to do that as I continue along. I've That's something that I've always done. I go into schools a lot with now or infinite over here. And I teach them to, to follow their interests. It may not be STEM, but just follow their interests, whatever it may be, and do something that they love like I'm doing. And I go into schools. And what, I actually went into my school and in my own grade. And also, not only teaching STEM education and trying to follow your dreams, but also I try to make topics that suit as hard to learn sometimes, try to make it fun and easier to learn. Like I taught my actual fifth grade class when I was in fifth grade back a while ago with my, I took in my now and I, and he impersonated a past president, gave them a few clues and I have to hold up a card to what they were. So not only using technology as it is and teaching people how to use technology, but also inspiring them to use technology in other fields. That's an interesting idea for me. That's great that you're doing that. When did you know you were different than your peers? So when did you feel like you started to diverge from normal activities? It was really in second grade when I started to really jump into technology when I would figure out that I was different from most people. Figuring that out was interesting for me, but I started to figure out, okay, what are you doing at home? Because I'm building a new thing for my now robot or something. And I started to learn that my intellectual age was farther than my calendar age. That's where I started to figure that out. 
And I also began to know that people were not getting bored. I was trying to learn something new, although they were. Like I said before, when I asked my teacher if I could learn something via recess, that was the turning point for my parents to say, okay, he's not learning anything. You know, he's getting bored, so what should I do? I use technology as a way out of that, to learn myself something new. So that's something that I've always done, and that's where I figured out that I was different. What was the first subject that you saw that really pulled you? So really, it's that math and science. It was that I, I really loved it. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought I could learn something new. And really, it's like I said before, I could apply, if applying something new is something that I've always thought about. Okay, how can this apply to something? And math and science really applies to everything, honestly. Have you ever been tempted to leave robotics and just do software for bigger margins? Because if you do software as a service, think about like ed tech or something else, you have really high margins. But if you do robotics, sometimes you're fighting with percentages or really smart margins. Interestingly enough, Reflect Social will be a software as a service. And software to me has been something that I've known for longer than hardware because I've had access to it for longer. I would, I could do Python all I knew was a computer, right? You know, learning software was my first thing. But then hardware, that's going to be an interesting idea because although hardware may have lower margins, hardware does have, I guess you could say, more consumer ties to it because you can go in the store and look at it. You can't go in the store and look at a software as a service. And finding that is going to be a way, almost like a digital store, almost. But yeah, for right now it's going to be software, but later it'll probably be hardware. So is R2-D2 conscious? Is he a true living being or is he a machine? Uh, going back to that five and four we said before, I'm thinking R2-D2, though he may have his personality, is not equal intelligence. So personality could be the emotions and abilities, but I think he's still a four and a five, honestly, because he has a purpose in what he does. He repairs the ships. Yeah. And that purpose, that I think he's still a four and a five, though he has this great personality that he's known for, and that's how we can't unlock this ability for consumer robotics. Yeah. And he's definitely not a zero because he screams when he gets shot at. And we have right. empathy for that. So that yeah. brings him up into the middle. Uh, I forgot to ask you, what level of math are you at currently? So currently I am preparing to take a calculus class. Second calculus class, actually. Pre-second uh, calculus class. So that's my math. And again, before high school, that technology driven me to learn new math and new math principles because math and technology will always be intertwined together no matter what. That's interesting because you're using deep learning, which has a lot of calculus in it, but because of the software tools, and that's been a big debate in the AI and data science community, people have said you need to have a strong math background and that argument's kind of faded away because the software makes a lot of this pretty easy. I taught myself a lot of the interesting ways and how it how does this model learn? It's all math, right? Everything is math. Whether it's a deep learning thing, there is no intelligence. It's math. So though I have not gotten to that point of deep learning in regular math quite yet, 
I taught myself what I needed to know. So when I get to that point, I'd be like, well, I know this from deep learning. I know what that is. So one of the issues with building a company, you can have a really smart tech founder that understands technology, but you really need sales and marketing, product market fit. You need the whole package. And so what do you think about when you think of sales and marketing for your own startup? I've learned that along the way. And one of my favorite things to do is learn something by doing something. Though I am the tech guy and I may be the one who can develop it that second, I'm also learning to figure out, okay, this is the pitch deck. I'm the CEO, not the CTO. So I have to figure out the business side. And that's something that I'm learning right now along the way. It's going to be very interesting because I'm developing KPIs and making a pitch deck, business models, and everything. So I think once I learn it now, it's going to be something I can use forever. So what did you make your pitch deck in? I made my pitch deck just in PowerPoint. I've been making my own slides for a while now, so I'm watching a bunch of videos and trial and error and figuring it out and reviewing it every once in a while. And and have you been copying a, a template for the ideal pitch? I know there's a lot of pitches on the internet. You can go find... Airbnb or some of these companies and look what their pitch decks were like? Actually not. I've been looking at the generalized form of it rather than specific ones, but I want to be unique in the sense I don't want to be like every other pitch deck. So having different things is kind of why I want to stick to the normal form with my own twist on it. But business models, I've taken a look at other companies to see what worked and what didn't and how I can learn from other people's successes. That reminds me, George said something during his interview where he said he had no interest in reading business books or like how to do a startup. He really wanted to do it his way without trying to copy some template. Technology is such a fast treadmill. Every six months there's something new, something different. So 10 years from now, I imagine you'll still be very busy on the technology treadmill working on whatever the next exciting thing is. So, you know, we were talking about colleges before, right? Yeah. They have to stop and make the book somewhere. You know, they have to stop here and make the book while we're still moving. That's something that I'm kind of playing into it as well is, okay, well, if this book has been made last year and now we're doing this totally different, that's why I'm thinking about more pursuing a business degree rather than a technology degree if I go to college. I come from a tech background because I studied chemical engineering uh, with a biomedical emphasis. I went to grad school. I would definitely have a stronger bias towards recommending STEM because a lot of the business stuff, you can learn that through a mentor. You can Mm -hmm. learn that through investors or you can hire for that. You you can hire someone. But the the deep tech or the STEM, that, that becomes a little tricky. If you didn't know any STEM and if I was your developer, would you be able to quality check me? But if you have a STEM background, it's easier for you to quality check your employees. And college-wise, also see which one will give me a chance. That's going to be an interesting thing. Like you were saying that the STEM and like I was talking about before, the resources. The colleges have tons of resources. So that's going to be also maybe a reason why I go. Yeah. You'll be surrounded by a lot of similar-minded people that are doing impressive research in technology. Right. Would you consider doing a double major? Going into business yep. and into technology? That's a possibility, definitely. Are there mentors today that help you with the things you're trying to do? Who has the biggest impact on you these days? These days, mentor-wise, I would have to say Adam Wilson, who founded Spiro. He's helping me with, like you said before, the business side of things. He's help- teaching me this 
other side that I'm not used to. It was last July when I walked into the technology head of Sphero and said, hey, here I am. Again, I show what I know and here we are today. He's definitely helped me a lot and he's helping me with Reflect Social as well. And we're hoping to get a few investor meetings going as well. That's another thing he's helping with is that network with me is going to be tricky because some people think, oh, he's cool. He's 12. He's doing all these things. I'll connect with him. And I was think, what's he doing 12? He's not doing these things for real. And his, I guess you could say, verification of that helps and connection wise. But yeah, he's definitely helped me a lot. That's great to have that access because a lot of it is about network. A lot of early founders complain because they can't get access to the investor networks because they don't know people, they don't have introductions, or they don't work in Boston, San Francisco, where you're right in the middle of these places. Um, Right, that's like me. You feel like you don't have a strong tech community where you live today? No, I do not, actually. Though people may say North Carolina knows for the the research triangle. That's not really in the technology field in my areas. I get support in Boston more than I do around here, honestly. Friends like and mentors like Adam is really going to help me to get over to that other side of the country and get those connections rather than my only East Coast connections. You're listening to More Intelligent Tomorrow. An artificial intelligence podcast brought to you in high fidelity by Data Robot. You're young. Do you think that you will be alive to witness the singularity or the consciousness or the superintelligence? Is that something that you think is possible in your lifetime? At the, I guess you could say, exponential rate we're going in both software and one of the biggest things is hardware. I think it's possible. But I don't think it can be scaled or to a consumer by that time. Though consciousness is going to be something that's going to be very useful, I don't think consumer markets are going to be too happy about it. Like I said before, it's that five to four scale is going to be that sweet spot because consciousness, you could say, is a 10. Yeah. So that's going to be a an interesting way to see how it plays out with the consumer area of that. But just general, in the lab, probably the most, I guess you could say, proof of concept thing, probably so. And if it can exist, do you think it's something we should not do? Do you, you think we should put the brakes on some of the AI research to avoid this potential nightmare or misstep? I don't think so. I think in some cases it can be used, in other cases not. So, you know, one thing people a lot of say is, well, technology and robots are going to take over my job. I'm not going to have a job anymore. And something that I've always thought about is robots are going to be designed to augment jobs rather than take them over. So the idea that consciousness could probably help with that, that logical common sense thinking, could help us. But, you know, there needs to be boundaries for consumer-wise. Because, like I said before, the sci-fi is basically ruining the abilities of people to say, oh, there's going to be a conscious robot that's going to take over the world. If we ensure that the robot doesn't give them that feeling, then we're perfectly fine with it. Who do you think should make these decisions? Or who do you think should decide what is okay, what isn't okay when it comes to robotics? I don't think the developer will be the best idea because there's always a business opportunity, right? I think there also almost needs to be a robotics council 
or something like that robotics group that says, okay, approve or disapprove something to be allowed in a consumer, almost like the FDA for robotics. That's really interesting. So aliens, yes or no? Do they exist? My answer is possibly, depending on if we have any planet like Earth. That's going to be the question. If it's if there's something modeled like Earth, then possibly. If not, then I don't think it's even possible. Do you have any desire to go to space tourism when Elon makes that available? If it becomes like a car and it becomes safe enough to be like a car, then probably yes. If not, then eh, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with my Corvette at home. <laughs> so if you knew that aliens were coming to Earth, if we all knew that aliens were coming to Earth to invade in the next 30, 40 years, we'd probably do something about it. Isn't the singularity the same thing? If we know that this life form could exist, it feels like an alien coming from within a little bit. Yeah, like you were saying in 30, 40 years, probably this huge consumer robot market will be coming. You know, we need to prepare humans for through the masses for it and to be accepting of it. We need to prepare for it in somewhat and then still build our, our FDA of uh, robots to ensure that they don't go over the 10. Yeah, I love the FDA idea because I feel like there's so many different topics within robotics that have to be addressed. Right. Is this good for mental health? Is it good for this age group? Is it dangerous? There's probably a lot of different things to think about in the world of robotics and what should be built and what should never be built. Right. Do you have any concerns about autonomous war and some of the robotics that already exist and will grow on the military side? So, yeah, military-wise, autonomous war, again, I'm going to go back to the idea of augmenting jobs rather than replacing them, because although Boston Dynamics over there, they're developing their robots and they're giving them a gun, but the idea of autonomous war, I think it's going to be more like the Boston Dynamics Spot Mini robot, carrying a drone or something, which I've seen a lot of, actually, using them to augment the job of an operator, say, special operations operator. I think that's the more route we're going to take, although it could be fully robotic thanks to the idea of not risking a human life, more risking some nuts and bolts. It's going to be an interesting idea to see how it plays out because obviously we don't want to risk our own people. As right now, since we're starting to get into it, I would say no for the next year or two, but give it about five to 10 years, you'll probably see it if we ever go to war again. Interesting. The more you grow up, the more you realize that the adults don't have everything figured out. So you you look at what's happening in the U.S. with politics and and different things. When you guys come into power with your generation, what hopes do you have? What are you going to change? In that sense, I would be the one to change the entire public education system. That would probably need to be completely start from the drawing board again. Like I said before, it's the age thing and figuring out that that grade level versus age does not go together. It's intellectual versus grade level. And figuring out a way to ensure of that is going to be something that I definitely would like to see changed. No, no more age restrictions to push right. back on you. So when you turn 13, what's the first online service you're going to sign up for? If any? <laughs> online service at 13. Well... Probably some online courses just to see, not only for the knowledge, but also to see how are they teaching it? What's their idea? Not that it's going to change mine, but how is their approach to it? That's great. 
So, Mike, have you seen any good shows recently that have stood out to you? Being an entrepreneur, one of my most favorite shows is Shark Tank to see the different ideas and the different pitches and how they pitch and figuring out how I can make mine better. And I've actually been coming up with an idea about a show because, you know, everybody nowadays has the junior version of everything, whether it be MasterChef Junior, Voice Junior, whatever it is. It's the, the younger contestants, right? So why isn't there a Shark Tank Junior where you could have younger entrepreneurs come on and I could be almost an investor and you would invest $500 for 10% of the company or something, a smaller amount, but it's that business idea and learning how to make a business, though it may not be any kind of big business, it could be something small and could get them the knowledge earlier than the adults. In a show like that, it'd probably be great to showcase the intelligence that is out there. Get people exactly. that are doing amazing things at a young age. And, you know, that's something that I'm key on as well is that idea of follow your interests, follow your dreams. And that could be tied into it as well. So have you run into any other kids that have a passion for science like you do? Not at the age that I am, no. And, you know, something that I've seen of kids in the intellectually higher kind of realm is that a lot of them are not social. That's something that my parents ensured of me is they learned a lot of these smart kids are introverts. So they pushed me to be social. And that's how I'm able to not only do these high intellectual things, but also speak it out. You've been on a few podcasts now. You've been on ours. You were on Kate's. Have you done other speaking things besides that? Yeah, I've, I've spoke at uh, the Mensa Annual Gathering many times uh, for 2018 and whatever in 2020, but of course COVID strikes again. I've spoken at many different places, went to schools and things, and I'm really open to speaking anywhere like this podcast now. Any opportunity I get, I would definitely welcome. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? LinkedIn and my website, nextairinnovations.com. Uh, you can reach me through there as well, but LinkedIn is probably the best way. Okay. I definitely recommend to people that are listening. I think listeners could get a lot listening to you and your insight, your perspective, but also showing off some of the projects I think could get a lot of attention in the AI community. So Mike, what's the first thing you're going to do when we're past COVID? Past COVID would probably be take a drive somewhere, go eat somewhere, I go on a cruise sometimes. Like I like to go on Disney cruises and things. Since summer, I've had a bucket list of places I wanted to go and probably would have gone before COVID, maybe a uh, road trip around the country again. That'd be great. So Mike, I've really enjoyed talking to you. You give me a lot of different things to think about. I really love the FDA approval for robots. That feels like a good way to maybe stop us from making 10 consciousness and focus more on delightful, usable, helpful. I really appreciate you making time to be on the podcast today. Absolutely. I had a great time. Thank you for the opportunity as well. I've Really had an, an amazing time, and thank you for allowing me to be on here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of More Intelligent Tomorrow. Feel free to subscribe to continue discovering the heroes of tomorrow, illuminating the path forward today. Visit us at datarobot.com slash podcast to learn more.